Hey, Barstool listeners, you can find every episode of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen up, we've got some tea, and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team, and they told us that they were going to launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it, because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend, and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days, and then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on Abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. Surf and Turf Podcast. We got Super Bowl week. Very exciting time. Literally, the NFL's Super Bowl. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, Willie and I are down here right now. We're taping this right now in Florida. Um, we're uh, at the Pro Bowl week. Uh, we're also at the Senior Bowl week. A lot of travel for us. Banking a lot of interviews. We're going to have a very interesting offseason. But this episode, we've got Pro Bowl running back, former Pro Bowl running back Ronnie Brown, who was a Miami Dolphin for a majority of his career. Uh, we're going to talk to him. Really fun interview. Some good insights on both the draft process, the wildcat, kind of his story, uh, the game against the Patriots, five touchdowns. Uh, some great stuff there. But Willie, let's talk about the week that was. Yeah, man. Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Not a place that takes a lot of direct flights. It's, uh, it's the birthplace of Mardi Gras. The birthplace of Mardi Gras, which is going to be happening, I believe, next weekend, actually. Yes, sir. Um, uh, Super Bowl weekend. But what were your impressions of that place, which was, in essence, the football capital of the universe this weekend? Yeah, that was my first time in Mobile. Um, it was um, it was different. I, I, I think uh, you don't realize it's kind of... Um, I don't know what's the word for it. It's it's a it's a breeding ground for the future of the NFL every year. And I mean, you talk about coaches and 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 scouts and and, and agents and and media and and everybody's trying to figure out what's happening next. Who's making the big move? Who's going to be doing that? And a lot of these agents and and coaches, uh, particularly. Uh, they're trying to. They're working on free agent deals right now. You mm-hmm. know, they're trying to sign guys and see if they want to take a chance on a guy and you know figure out things. So there's a lot of moving and grooving. I I, I told you this when we were there. I'm surprised that these guys are actually watching the game. Right. Everybody's in the stands, kind of you know in each other's ear. And it's so it, it was cool to see. It was cool to see how things work. Um, you know, I sat right behind Dave Gettleman, and that was you know John Isaac was on my left. You know, wearing a Jacksonville Jaguar shirt and he was my GM when I was with the Jets then you look over you know you see <laughs> you see Belichick and Nick Saban and then you see so it's yeah. it's kind of cool to see everything uh, but senior bowl is a great time for these young guys to go out there and just let it rip uh, we sat down talked to some guys especially with the Bucks, who make decisions as far as you know drafting people and I and I asked them you know how important is the senior bowl what what does it mean uh, in, in reference to like, does this help guys' stock go up or down? 
And their answer was like, listen, if we have enough film on you, that's really the body of your work. That's your resume. However, you do want to see guys compete. You want to see guys go out there and fly around. So it was a good week. Talked to a lot of people. Got to see how the operation is run. And uh, Mobile, Alabama, it's, it's, it's a quirky little town, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it reminds me actually a lot of Austin, um, which is, uh, you know, obviously in Texas for UT. But, yeah, this week in Mobile was just crazy. I mean, uh, Nick Saban helicoptered in. Uh, we were walking yeah. around the stadium. For, for those that don't know, uh, I think this is actually the last year they're doing it at Lad People Stadium in Mobile. But it's a primarily empty stadium. Like, you sit anywhere. There's no real restrictions. It's free for fans. Um, you know, if the stadium capacity is, you know, 20,000, there were maybe 1,000 people in there, 1,500 at most. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's just a bunch of, you know, football coaches, football people, scouts networking and kind of chumming it up with each other. You know, we saw uh, your former offensive line coach, Harold Goodwin. We had some some nice talks with Love him. me some Goody. Goody, great guy. Um, but it was just really interesting to see. We we went out to dinner with uh, the entire Bucks front office uh, with Jason Light on uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night rather. Um, and everyone's just kind of looking for scoops, kind of seeing what's going on. Um, a lot of chatter that I happened over here was you know everyone kind of assumes Tom Brady's going to the Chargers, which would certainly be an interesting development. But this is Brady kinda, to the Chargers. Breaking news. Yeah, this is a lot of um, uh, just. A lot of just networking and happening, and yes. these guys are feeling each other out and kind of seeing, you know, what free agency is going to be like, who guys like in the draft, and yeah, it is a really good place for you know the top college guys um, that are draft eligible, the seniors, to really showcase their skills. It's really a great place for small school guys to go against yes. uh, top competition that they wouldn't normally play. Um, the Bucks have two offensive linemen, Ali Marpet and um, Alex Kappa, from very small schools, so um, they both got their chance to shine and you know elevated their draft stock we say uh the senior bowl is going on you know as we speak but you see you know big name guys like justin herbert you know kind of elevate uh solidify their stock as first rounders you know utah defensive end bradley and i has three sacks in this game you know he's kind of making a name for himself so this is a chance right now for guys to be making money yeah um but it's uh it was just a really good time really insightful and then we drove down to orlando we're in Orlando. This was kind of a different vibe for sure. Um, everyone's at uh, the Pro Bowl Hotel. We are uh, around, you know, the best football players in the world. You know, Russell Wilson and Sierra walked by. Drew Brees. Was, can, you know, can you admit to the people that you were starstruck? I was a little starstruck in the beginning. A couple of times you were starstruck. More so in the beginning. Okay. But yeah, you know, once you see Michael Thomas for the 10th time, you're like, all right, I guess Michael Thomas is just kind of walk around the hotel. Um, what, do you want to when you do, do you want to tell the people how you harass Quentin Nelson? I did. I, I mean, I, I had to. I, he he, was, he won block of the year, so I needed to get an acceptance speech out of him. Um, right. I had his contact info. I texted him. He didn't respond. So it was a perfect opportunity to just kind of pin him down for 10 He's seconds. Re- he was very puzzled on who the hell you were. Yes. Correct. And you're one of your... And he's like, I text you. Yeah. And he was like, what do you mean? Who yeah. are you? Yeah. And you went through the whole shebang and he was just like all right dude just whatever you want i mean we got we got an acceptance speech out of it he's that's, a big man now that's what we needed yeah he's a big guy we took a we took a picture we had a nice friendly talk for about five minutes about okay. the bucks colts game this year um and kind of you know what could have been he was picked one pick before us we did or one pick before original spot before we traded back but it was a he was a good guy um, you literally look like a kid in Disneyland. He was like the one guy I wanted to see just because of the block of the year. Congrats again, Quilson, Quentin Nelson, for winning that. But you saw other people. The boy award. We got to see Cam Jordan. We got to see yep. Chandler Jones. We got to see uh, 
whole, Drew Brees. By the way, Drew Brees is not that short. It was yeah, he's not as short as I would have imagined. Yeah, he was he's a fairly decent size. So yeah. that was uh that was that was shocking to me. Yeah. But um, didn't we, get to see Shaq Barrett, the one guy I wanted to see the Bucks. You uh, didn't see Shaq Barrett, but you did have a Shaq Barrett shirt on. It did. So yeah. it was kind of a, you're kind of a walking billboard. Yeah, that was a Barstool shirt, the Shaq attack. Right. Um, but yeah, that that was a week that was. We banked a bunch of interviews for, interviews for you guys. We're gonna show you a different side of football moving forward. We're going to, uh, you know, the draft is coming up, free agency is coming up. We want to give the fans a different look at what uh, is happening with the with this year-round NFL. So we got some great interviews with, you know, salary cap guys, with college scouts, director of college scouting, director of pro personnel, um, former GMs, really, really good stuff to just kind of show what their focus is on in this offseason, how timing kind of plays a, a factor in that need things like that um but yeah it was a really good time successful trip for sure banked more interviews than i thought we would which was great it was good i, I think for a lot of people that don't understand this time of year um it's interesting because this is where the front office this is when for the front office of a lot of ball clubs this is when their season starts yeah uh and so you you kind of kind of see how a lot of things are manifested and the conversations, you know, all the rumors, you start hearing little rumors. Now there's the speculation that, you know, the Jets maybe want to shop Le'Veon Bell uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, he makes a lot of money uh, and they got to, they got to figure out how to get some talent on our team. Excuse me. Uh, But you also got to, it's also one thing I noticed and particularly at the senior bowl, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young guys you tell that are so raw. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? It is so much rawness on that field that it's almost like, man, you realize how young these kids are. You know yeah. what I mean? Because these kids are still, and they're giants. I mean, I don't know what's the defensive tackle's name from the South Carolina. Javon Kinlaw, yeah. Holy shit, that's a big son of a bitch. I mean, he's yeah. a big kid. But you can tell he has skills. But there's, you see flashes of brilliance from these kids, but they're really, they're really pups. And they have all these, you know, mega powers just pretty much watching them. And like if they're looking into a fish tank, mm-hmm. um, and, and you, you, the light kind of comes on like, man, you know, you pray with the raw skills they have and they're going to develop that they do go to a team that's going to really, you know, take them in and build them up and, and make them into ball players. So it's a uh, it, it's 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 interesting, man. It's interesting to see how coaches respond. Um, it's interesting, interesting to see uh, just how the whole thing works. Yep. So I think for a lot of people uh, and like you said, we're going to have a lot of people on. You know, from the Buck staff that's going to talk about the process and what they look forward to, and, and kind of the getting behind the, behind the curtain on, on drafting a guy, and making them a, a buck for the future. So it was it was good. I learned a lot, um, and it was. Uh, I, I tell you what, if, if if this media thing doesn't work out, I may I may try to be a scout one day. We'll see. Yeah, see if I have an eye for it. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great trip. Very very insightful. Um, but this week is again Super Bowl week. The big game, uh, we got to talk about it. San Francisco, Kansas City. Kansas City currently favored by a point and a half. Kansas yeah. City is. Kansas City is. Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Okay. Um, the over-under is 54 and a half, so we're anticipating a pretty high-scoring game. Willie, who do you like this Sunday in this matchup in Miami? Man, I'm, um, I said this earlier when we were at dinner the other day. I, I think the Niners are going to win because of the better defense, and they have a, a really good run. Run, they have a really good run game. However, I teeter because I watched this Kansas City defense stand up against Derrick Henry mm-hmm. and pretty much, you know, knuckled up with him. So, however, I do think the Niners are a better team all the way around. 
But there's no way you can count out Patrick Mahomes, Tariq Hill, Kelsey, on and on and on. Um, shit, I forgot the other day Shady McCoy's on the team. Yep. It just it just slipped my head. Um, so I, I just think I'm, I'm I think the Niners going to win. That's my pick. Uh, but I'm really rooting for um, Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm really pulling for him. Guy who's been through a lot. Who's been to you know had his shot a lot and always been disappointed. So. Uh, if Andy got one, man, I wouldn't. I won't be salty about it. But I, I think the Niners are just a better all-around team. I agree. I think the Niners are a better all-around team. But I actually see it's really tough because you know the line is a point and a half right now. I can see it going either way. Typically in this match, by ten to favor defenses. Okay. So overall, I do think I like San Francisco to win the game. But uh, I don't see, and we talked about this last week. I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo as a confetti quarterback, as a guy they're going to win because Which is of him. Troubling. I think. I mean, I just, I don't. I think he's a good quarterback. I definitely think he's, you know, a top sixteen quarterback, top half the league. But I don't think I can't envision him being the Super Bowl MVP. And maybe Ali might. That's words. that's a strong take. I mean, Super Bowl MVP is meant Jimmy for G quarterbacks. Been balling all if, year. If he ha- if he has a good game then certainly he should be the favorite to win Super Bowl MVP. But they've got guys like Raheem Mostert, George Kittle, well, that's not, that's, Samuel. That's who I have as uh, my Super Bowl MVP, George Kittle. George Kittle. Yeah. The runner-up in the Boy Award, the block of the year. <laughs> um, he yeah, pancakes I mean, a five six DB and you gave it to him. I, I didn't give it to him. Okay. I, I simply nominated him. He came in second he place. He should have been nominated. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this takes me back to, you know, obviously, uh, I don't want to get too buck-heavy, but in 2000, the 2002 season Super Bowl in 2003, the number one defense of the Bucks with a, you know, pretty average offense um, played the Oakland Raiders, who also had a good defense with mm-hmm. the number one high-powered offense. Uh, and, you know, they always, the saying goes, defense, offense wins games, defenses win championships. Sure. Uh, so we'll see if that holds true this Sunday. Certainly San Francisco has a much better defense. Kansas City since Steve Bags, uh with Steve Spagnolo has have been playing much better defense as of late. Correct. You, know, you mentioned the Tennessee game. I think whoever wins time of possession is going to win this ball game because if San Francisco can run the ball and run it effectively and they hold the ball for whatever 35 minutes that would bold well for their chances to win the game. But if Kansas City can stop the run and, you know, kind of have the ball more than San Francisco would like them to on offense, I think that they're going to run away with this one. So, see, I, I kind of think it's a little, I'm, I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I think whoever stands up, whoever has the best red zone defense is going to win this game. Mm. Um, I think the Chiefs are super high up in the red zone efficiency. I think the Niners are up there as well, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a couple big stops in the red zone. And whoever was able to kind of accomplish that, that's that's going to be a team to pull it out. Because I, I think there's no way of stopping both offenses. There's two, they're two, I mean, there's a lot of weapons, smart coaches. They're going to figure it out. But it's going to take kind of a big-time movie-type stand. Uh, and whoever's able to do that is going to be able to kind of stand up and, and really pull it out. I think all the fans can ask for every Super Bowl is just a really good game. And, you know, with the, with the line what it is, it, it's shaping up to be that way. It's going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of it's gonna be a lot of Caucasian people down in Miami getting tans because they've been sleep, they've been sitting in the snow. So it's gonna be yeah. uh, hopefully hopefully Kansas City brings a suntan. Kansas City hasn't been to the game in fifty years. I Is that correct? I think they're gonna nineteen seventy. Well. I guess I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's sixty nine season. Right. Um, but all right, really fun interview with Ronnie Brown. We're gonna get right into that. 
This interview is presented by Roman. Our friends at Roman, most guys have tried different ways to last longer, but thinking about baseball doesn't always work. The folks at Roman, an online men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer-lasting sex. Saying the Pledge of Allegiance in your head, counting backwards from 10, again, none of these things have ever worked. Roman Swipes are clinically proven way to last longer in bed. They're effective easy to use fast acting and do not require a prescription roman can ship swipes to you in a in a discreet unmarked package and each swipes packet is small enough to hide in your wallet for whenever you need it swipes are great and they will not transfer to your partner so you can last longer without worrying they're super easy to use just take the swipes out of the packet swipe them on let them dry you're good to go have fun you know have fun with roman swipes that's that's our ask to you guys the listeners when you go to get roman.com slash surf get your first month of swipes for just five dollars when you choose a monthly plan if you go to the link get roman.com slash surf again your first month of swipes for just five dollars when you choose a monthly plan get roman.com slash surf auburn auburn uh, tiger uh we want to talk to you about your career overall, but thank you for coming in today. We're in Mobile right now. Uh, how you doing today, Ronnie? Man, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate y'all for having me. Yeah. You know, um, it's an honor to be on and get a chance to chat it up with y'all. Yeah, yeah. man. I, so I met Ronnie. Uh, obviously, I knew who, who the fuck he was, uh, but I met him at the broadcast boot camp. And we chopped it up, man. And it's one of those things when you engage with other guys who are trying to figure it out or trying to see if this is for them, man, you really get to see the personalities come out, man. I thought you were great. Uh, you get big old smile and nice suit. And uh, he was extremely personable. So I was like, man, I, I always like to, you know, when I walk away from a guy, I was like, you know, I would have a beer with that guy. Right. And I wouldn't mind sitting down and talking with him. So, yeah, I, I'm glad we ran into each other, man, because it was cool. I talked to Stephen Chen. We walked away from you. I was like, man, that dude's cool, man, because sometimes you just know the name you know the, you see right. the face right but you don't know if he's an asshole or not right, right. so you uh you're a great guy man i enjoyed uh, a little time we had so thank you for being there yeah i appreciate y'all were the ones that introduced me to social media uh, okay because i didn't have a twitter when we got up there and everybody oh. it seemed like a thing everybody was like you don't have one i'm like nah i'm supposed to so <laughs> yeah just because then i got the twitter and then uh-huh. a few guys sent me a couple invitations or whatever yeah might. man it's it's huge i tell you especially when you walk off the field and because i know you're we're going to talk a little bit about you in the financial world and all yeah. things you're getting into um a big part of it also is you know when you, the further you away from the game the more you kind of find yourself drifting away from everything football you right. know it just naturally happens because yeah. right. you got a family life happens and you kind of form your own little world a uh, new world so social media kind of keeps you engaged with guys you played or even guys you played against. So it's it's a healthy tool. Right, right. It's not all thirst traps and uh and, and booty shaking models. So. Right, right. And I like it. You know, um, <laughs> it, it's growing on me because um, at first, you know, I was kind of like, no, I'm trying to be private. Yeah. You know, doing the family right. thing. But, you know, I think if you use it the right way, networking, you can reach a lot of people without av- actually having to go out. There is some good advertising. with social media. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you can keep up with a lot of guys that you play yeah. with. So kind of seeing what's going on, keeping in touch, uh, touch back here and that mm-hmm. so yeah. and i mean you know if you're trying to break into the football world or the media world like this is the epicenter of that right now so, <laughs> right as yep. we were saying this is a great place to be doing network yes, sir. To, we were out late night and we just saw you know a bunch of guys that were either scouts or you know wanted to be scouts with with pro teams and just kind of mm-hmm. just all they did was watch film for their entire Hours. adult life Hours. And, you know they're trying to you know break into the industry so this is a great place to do it obviously you have had to start with a uh, you know, being a former player. But let's talk about that. You know, your draft process. We're in the thick of the draft process right now. But your draft process, I'd love to go over a very interesting story. So 2005, 
Um, you come out with your teammate, uh, Carnell Cadillac Williams, <laughs> offensive rookie of the year. Shout out Tampa Bay. Um, but a very interesting time just because the game is so different now. Three running backs uh, in that year went top five. It was you, second overall. Right. Cedric Benson, fourth to the Bears. And then right. Cadillac. Oh, RIP Cedric Benson, too. Yeah. Wow. Cedric Benson. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, Cadillac Williams, fifth overall to the box. And now, you know, we did see Saquon go number two mm-hmm. um, uh, recently. But now you don't really see running backs go in the top uh, half of the first round, at least. Um, how do you think the game has changed? And you play, you know, we'll get into it later, but you play a big part in the NFL's story and just changing the game um, with that Miami Dolphins wildcat team. So what do you think the differences are between, you know, back in 15 years ago when you were, you know, yeah. the jewel of the of the class and now, you know, today's game? Yeah, I think, I mean, the big part of it is just the rules in the game. Um, obviously, Back then, it was cool to see a 10-9 game. Yeah. You know, you beat each other up 13-7, something <laughs> like that. But, you know, I think with the rule changing, leaning heavily on the offensive side, mm-hmm. uh, it's favor. You know, with the receivers, can't really touch them off the line too much. After mm-hmm. five yards, you got to give them room to run. Can't hit the quarterback. Um, you know, guy, guys going over the middle can't really knock them out. So, you know, with all of that, it kind of increases the ability for the offense to be successful. So, when you see what's going on with that and then the fan base, everybody wants to see the ball go down the field. Yeah. You know, Patrick Mahomes, the guys with the strong arm, you know, you want to see the big plays of Tyreek Hill, you know. And so I think with the nature of that, you know, the running back position has kind of been devalued a little bit. Um you know, because we used to be, you know, I didn't get to visit too many times to the playoffs. But, you know, once you get to, you know, this time of year, you get to, you know, November, December, yeah. you know, and, and the inclement weather kicks in, you go to different places. You have to be able to run the football um, in order if you want to be successful. And, you know, even with the the last few Super Bowl winners, you know, you still got to have that balance yeah. because, you know, teams start to play you a little differently. I think, you know, we'll see a little bit of that with San Francisco this year. Um, you know, they, they haven't had to throw the ball much. They've had so much success in the running game. But, you know, I think when you tend to have success, then the other team's watching that as well. It's like, okay, we're going to have to stop this part of it and, you know, make this other guy beat us. So I think it's just the evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, we were lucky. We had the Wildcat uh, in Miami. But, you know, it's just a phase. You're trying to find something to get ahead of the defense. You know, to be honest, those guys are bigger, faster, stronger. You look at the defensive ends, the makeup of a lot of these guys. Like, you know, they're running just as fast as a lot of the skill position guys. So when you think about that, it's like, how can we get an advantage over the defense? And, you know, just trying to be innovative as an offensive guy to try to put in different things to be like, okay, we just need to figure out a way to do something get different. Involved. Give them, yeah. I want to ask about your draft day. Uh, walk us through it. Where were you at? At this point, like, like Chase, I mean, you're, at that point, you're big time, right? Everybody everybody wants to know where you're going to land. How did that happen? What what happened during that day? Because I know all of Auburn's watching. Right. Everybody back home is watching. Where did you think you were going to land? Man, so one, I was I was excited about that day, but boy, I tell you, I was nervous. Because um, <laughs> I didn't know. You know, the, the previous year, you know, we had success, but, mm-hmm. you know, I got my my grade back. I'm third-round guy. Um, now you got a third-round grade? Yeah. The so previous thinking, year? Yeah. Okay. So I'm okay. thinking, you know, I'd already graduated, so I come back for my senior year. Um, then, you know, the rumblings got to happening. We had a pretty good season, went undefeated that year. Uh, got a little bit of notoriety, had gained a little traction. Sure. Um, 
So just through all of that, you know, when my agent told me, he's like, hey, man, we got invited to the draft. I'm like, no way. I'm not going. You know, and that's you didn't want to go. York. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going. Like, I don't want to be sitting in the, you know, I'm not thinking of myself one of those guys yeah. I'm watching on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You know, I see some guys and it was for me, it was just loving the game and, mm-hmm. you know, just being a part of it, doing something I love to do. But then I was like, man, all right. So we started talking about it. It's like, all right, we'll go. He's like, man, it's an invitation. We got to go. Yeah. So then I'm like, all right, cool. So we go, you know, and, and we're in New York. And that was a great experience, you know, being around the other guys, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, Cedric Benson, you know, uh, Braylon Edwards, the whole group, you know, crew, Anquan, um, you know, and, and I think just, you know, I think going through the, or Antrail, but going through that, you know, I think just being around the guys, I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on draft day, man, I'm looking at the clock. We're sitting in the green room. Alex Smith goes first. I'm looking across the table. Braylon's sitting across. I'm like, well, I know he's going to go to Miami or somewhere. So you already picked, you already sliding yeah, so I'm kind of looking like, man, I'm, I'm probably going to end up somewhere cold probably later on in the first round. <laughs> and then just so happened, you know, we're sitting at the table. My mom, you know, is next to me. Then my agent, he's like, hey, telephone. I'm like, why would you start playing like right now? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. Same is on the phone. And I'm like, Really? And then so I'm like, hello? And then he's like, hey, um, Ronnie, uh, how would you like to be a dolphin? Like, man, absolutely. So my heart drops, you know, and then, you know, after you get the call, you go up to the stage and, you know, you, you get you get to go across the stage. They introduce you and mm. all of this. Then after that, you go down. Was it Goodell or Tagliabue at this time? It was Tagliabue. Yeah. Wow. And then. And I think this was a time that you could negotiate the contracts of the first overall pick before the actual draft day. Mm. But if I recall the deal for Alec, like Alec, it wasn't a lock that he was going. Like there right. was some talk, like maybe Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think maybe they, they going, going in a different direction. So this was one of the drafts that you really going into it didn't know what was going to right. happen. Right, and I definitely didn't have an idea. I'm not thinking I'm going to go second. Right. Obviously, through the experience of yeah. being a previous you know, grade and get third round, like, sure, whatever. Like you know, so you know, after that comes, then you start doing the interviews. The next thing you know, by the time like Carnell and all those guys, I was in the airport on my way to Miami. Um, Wow. So I didn't even get a chance to see, you know, a lot of the draft. You know, we had Carlos Rogers that year. So you pretty much, you're Dolphin, and now you're heading to Miami just like that. Right. And went commercial, went straight to the airport. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They didn't fly you first No, man, no. So I went. That's some bull. Yeah, went straight to the airport. So you sitting in the back of the plane, first round draft. Just got drafted, (laughs) you know, walking through the airport. Um, And this is old CBA, so you're immediately one of the highest paid players of your position, and you're sitting in row man, Just a regular guy. Regular, which is cool. You know, I don't humbling. mind it. That's, you go yeah. from like king to shit and right. then back to king. Right. All in a matter of uh, three you know, hours. So it keeps you grounded. So it was cool. I liked it. it was, I mean, you know, it, the draft that just happened, so I was still excited about that part. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter. I could have <laughs> did one of crop dusters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, a very interesting year. And ironically, you bring up that point about, you know, you don't want to be the guy waiting in the green room because that was the year Aaron that Rogers. Aaron Rodgers yeah. made that famous um, in his precipitous fall to whatever 25 it was um it all kind of worked out for for everybody (laughs) yeah but a very short draft night for you so something we do want to ask we ask this to a lot of guys especially high picks is that uh you know old cba again you know you're one of the highest paid players your position your rookie dinner were you responsible for you know the entire offense you know just the running backs the offensive line what was your rookie dinner like so for me it was i mean we did it by position um okay. you know and most guys at the position you know had a draft pick and you know they keep it light on them depending on where right. you went 
Um, so I didn't have to do the whole offensive defense, but we had a lot of veteran defensive linemen, and they didn't have a rookie. So you were um, their rookie. Yeah, so I did the running backs, but then that same night the D line came over, and you know they sent me the bill. <laughs> um, you know, and you can't really say no. You got you, you know, got Taylor, it. Kim, all these guys. You yeah. know, like, well, you know, I have to eat this one. You know, and yeah. they ordered a couple bottles of wine, and we we're on yeah. the beach. But it was cool, man. They did a good job. They they took care of me though, you mm-hmm. know, and and that was the cool part because coming in, you know, guys like Jason. Taylor, Zach Thomas, you know, Junior said, like, they showed me the game, you know, well, and so was on the team. they really, well. yeah, taught me a lot of stuff, like, off the field, and, mm-hmm. you know, Junior, you know, rest in peace, but, you know, he was one of the most personable people, you know, and I saw a lot from him, just the interaction with how he treated people yeah. outside of the building, and then Jason Taylor, the way he handled himself in the community and doing stuff on the football field, and, you know, Zach being a constant professional, you know, I see him have his dinner delivered on Mondays, you know, he's already broken down the film for the week on formation for the defense that we're going to offense that we're going to face so mm-hmm. you know it was cool it was a good experience so you know I, I took that and that was a part of it like okay this is just a part of it. each guy's done it you know you pay your dues sure. you do what you're supposed yep. to do but at the same time they, they did a real good job taking you, care of me you mentioned the name earlier I don't think most people wouldn't associate with the Miami Dolphins uh, because it was short lived was Nick Saban right uh Nick Saban head coach of the Miami Dolphins you're there first year what was the culture like uh put it in, in, in a small pill for everybody to swallow you know, for me, it wasn't anything different. I'm a rookie, so I'm coming out of college. He's coming out of college. So okay. it was the same process for me, um, you know, but being in the NFL, things work a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Like you go in and you got the guys, like I'm saying, Junior Seau, Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, who have already kind of decorated. found themselves yep. a routine, you know, and they've had a lot of success on this level. They do things a certain way. You know, you allow those guys to do that. Um but Saban's a defensive guy. You know, that year, Jason Taylor, you know, while he was there, he won uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, so he knows the game, but I think it was just the other parts of it because he's so involved in every decision, you know, and he's a constant professional himself, you know, and I think he, he requires perfection. You know, not that you're going to be per- perfect, but, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's what you want to go to. And so, you know, he allows you to be an adult. Um, but at the same time, he requires you to be responsible. And if you get outside of that, then there's consequences, obviously. And, you know, there's a lot of life lessons in that. So you guys you know, take to him well, um, a little bit. But there were a bunch of headbutting, you mm-hmm. know, at some of the older guys that, like I said, had their way of doing things. But, you know, it's like, hey, man, like for rookies, it's like we, if you're on time, you're late. You know, all rookies <laughs> need to be in the meeting room five, ten minutes before the meeting starts. Um, but just outside of that, it was just okay, we need this, is how this is done. And some of the guys were like, nah, like, you know, and we were still doing college stuff. We'd do two, three-spot drills. Mm, wow. Guys like, man, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, we're conditioning after practice. So, you know, it was just a few adjustments. But, mm. you know, I think at the same time, nobody can question his football knowledge, you know, what he's been able to accomplish as a coach. Yep. So one thing we have to talk about with your career is uh, the Wildcat and that, you know, this is something that literally changed football. You know, more of the spread offenses you see nowadays, you know, kind of, you know, originated with, you know, this form of offense, which is the Wildcat. So you guys busted it out. I think it was 2008, week three, a game that I got knocked out of my survivor pool, which you probably don't care about. <laughs> but you had five touchdowns in yeah. Foxborough. Uh, one being a passing touchdown against the New England Patriots. Walk us through that game, and I believe you guys started 0-2 before that, but were you guys just holding it for the Patriots because you knew that they wouldn't have like scouted these looks? What was the, what was the, what was that game like? Man, you know, we had put it in like a few weeks before that. Um, 
but in practice, like we run it uh, against probably the, the worst looks to see how it would go if, you know, we were in a game time situation. And, you know, we had a coach, David Lee, who came from Arkansas, mm-hmm. who was there with McFadden and Felix Jones and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those guys. So they had success doing it. So when he came in, he introduced it to us. Ricky, myself, we had another guy, um, Patrick Cobbs and, you know, Lusaka Polite, who was our fullback. So in having those guys... He's like, man, let's try this. Obviously, we're going through a few quarterbacks, you know, during my career. And it was Who's just a quarterback at the time. Uh, we had Chad, right? Chad Pennington. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so just in going through that, it was like, you know, just a way to mix it up, like kind of like going no huddle sure. um, type of situation. And, you know, our backs against the wall, we're going to Foxborough. We're 0 and 2. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, time for all stops. Let's just kind of see if we can write this track. Yeah. And so being in it, when we initially called it the first play, I'm like, man, just don't mess it up. Don't drop the snap. Like, <laughs> don't fumble the ball, giving it to Ricky, you know, because if it works, you know, we get a chance to continue doing that. No idea that it'd be as successful as it did. Um, you know, and even at practice, a lot of the defensive guys are like, man, what is this? Y'all need to throw this out. And then, the success from that game, everybody just kind of like, hey, pull the Wildcat out. <laughs> so it became, became a thing. But, you know, everybody with that, everybody thought that it would be as successful, you know, each time. You know, I'm like, this is just, you know, a way for us to kind of change the pace of the game. But, you know, it worked and, you know, we heavily relied on it. And unfortunately, we ran into um, – who was it Baltimore that year in the playoffs? Yeah. And, you know, by Killed the time you've seen it, yeah, like <laughs> those guys blitzed everybody. They threw mm-hmm. everything but the kitchen sink at us. I know it was a big deal because after the New England game, I remember a lot of people were just – they didn't understand it, but they knew they it was successful. So they were right. trying to figure it out. The problem is not everybody can run the rocket. Right. And that's what guys were figuring out the hard way. It's like, man, I don't think this SOB is fast enough to get, you know, find the hole and get out of there. You were a, you were considered a big back who had great feet and had great vision. A lot of guys are system running backs where they just know where they need to go, get there fast, just get get your feet to the line of scrimmage and try to get to the second or third level. The Wildcat was one of those things where it helped not only running backs, but other receivers who were kind of hybrids who really, right. you couldn't really figure out, have a place within the system. So I, I remember a lot of OCs was like, well, we don't know if it's going to work, but it's working for them, so it got to work for us. Let's, yeah. just, let's just try. And it, and it caused a load of angst because defenses, to your point, were like, man, now we got to worry about this son of a bitch. Right. You know what I mean? like we got to worry about this. So it added uh, a lot more fuel to the fire. Yeah. You know, and I think, like you said, like it opened up opportunities for those tweener guys, like yeah. some of the guys that were quarterbacks that had yeah. the running ability. Um, the guy that I think of is probably Brad Smith out sure. of Missouri yep. up in New York. He kind of assumed that role, you know, and him being able to throw, you know, it, it added a little um, unbalance for the Shit, defense. I mean, we like, really want to be 100 about it. I mean, it actually helped out a lot of, you know, probably low tier quarterbacks. I mean, there right. would be no T- Tim Tebow without the Wildcat. Right. And, you know, and we even drafted when I was in Miami, like just in that phase. As I got older, we drafted Pat White yeah. out of West Virginia, you know, and I think he was going to assume that role. But, you know, I think the tough part was a lot of people realize, like, having to run between the tackles. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And for me, like you said, I was 233 pounds on weigh-in day, 234. Um, but on game day, I was probably more 240-ish. Wow. Um, you know, after yeah. sitting in the sauna for a couple, <laughs> couple a few minutes, yeah, for, for weigh-in. So, uh, you know, I, I think it, it helped. It opened it up for a lot more people. Um, you know, but I was just fortunate and excited to be able to be in that I never played quarterback before so yeah so that's something I'd love to ask you about you know you you know 240 pounds is a large running back by any you know generation 
when you look at the way the NFL has moved this year, just with Derrick Henry. So when you were drafted in 2005, that was still the bell cow era where, yeah. you know, you draft a guy, you're going to feed him. I mean, Cadillac Williams, I don't know how many carries we gave him that rookie year, but we beat the brakes off him. Like <laughs> he carried the ball. So Shorten his neck. Yeah. And I mean, he was 215. Uh, so do you see the NFL moving in more of a direction where, you know, when looking at your just scouting profile coming out, 233 pounds, you know, very good receiving back, uh, can run the ball, you know, obviously very bulky in terms of size uh, and can absorb that those type of uh, hits. Do you see the NFL moving in a, in a direction like that where if they find like Derrick Henry or, you know, modern day Ronnie Browns, that those guys will now be coveted assets again? I think so. Um, but I think the fortunate part of the league is they're going to two, three back systems. Yeah. Um, so even in college, which is a good thing because you don't get as much wear and mm-hmm. tear. So you got a few more miles on you when you get to the league. But once you get in the NFL, you know, you need that, you know. And I think that's the thing that may have hindered Baltimore this year, you know, with not having Mark Ingram healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to be able to do that. And then, you know, the thing I tell a lot of running backs, I'm like, even though that's going to be the situation, like don't put yourself in a box and be like, I'm a third down guy. I'm a first and second down guy. Because guys get injured, you have to do different things. So you need to, you know, pretty much brush up on all your skills, catching the ball out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing I see too, a lot of guys don't really play on the jug machines anymore. Like that was one of the requirements as a running back. You know, you sit over there and then you had to block, you know, and I think that's just kind of increasing your your opportunity to be on the field because realistically, they don't want to pay a running back $10, 15000000 million a year. But the guy standing next to you is getting 20 to 30 Right. If you can protect him and add value in the passing game, then you got a, a better chance of playing either more or playing longer. So, you know, I just tell guys, man, the more you can do, the better. Don't limit yourself and just continue to grow and, you know, try to really round off your game. Not to harp on the Wildcat, but did you feel like after you had so much success with it, people only saw you to be able to do that? They, right. Did people respect your whole game after the Wildcat? Did you feel like you'd be in pigeonholed at that point? Yeah, I, I kind of got, you know, because it was like, you know, you became good because of the the Wildcat, you know, and I think they took it from the fact that I'm still not, I'm still playing running back, sure. you know, and having success and running it. And, you know, it kind of limited the fact that now I don't have the opportunity to throw the ball as much. So guys are playing eight, nine boxes. Um but, you know, it's kind of like being remembered for that, which is a good thing, but it's also a curse. It's like, well, this yeah. is why you had success because you had the Wildcat. But I'm like, you know, in the same time. I was doing I probably, this before the Wildcat. Right, right. you know, and yeah. being in a situation where, you know, I, I think guys kind of undervalue the importance of having a quarterback that's really good. Um, you know, that's important, you know, because for me, being in Miami in six years, I think I had 10, 11 different quarterbacks that I played yeah. with. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's just kind of – you know, that's just crazy. So even with a few different coordinators, so, you know, appreciating, you know, guys that take some of that pressure off of you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Damn, that's a lot of quarterbacks. I, it just hit me upside the head. 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah, in six seasons, that is... Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> that is a ton. Um, so, yeah, great point about uh, pass protection and the jugs machine and just kind of catching. Um, how... Uh, uh, when you were coming out, I remember, you know... The Bucks had the fifth pick, so I was obviously reading up on all those, uh, you know, top players. Um, the thing that you were really touted about was your pass blocking and receiving ability. How important is that versus being able to just run between the tackles or outside speed? Because you did run, you know, a four four six forty at you know whatever two hundred thirty three pounds. That's nuts. Um, so how would you? What would you? How would you rank the importance of uh, traits a running back needs to have to be successful? I mean, I think you. I mean, if you look at it in numbers, 
just looking across the country, what uh, I don't know how many universities there are, colleges across the country, but mm-hmm. you know, let's just say you have two or three running backs on each team. So there's hundreds of guys across the country who can technically run the football. That's what the position is called. You're running back. So the number one requirement is that you're expected to be able to run the ball. But then, you know, you kind of add more value as you go. Like if you can catch the ball out of the backfield, now can we use them on third down? Let's mm-hmm. hit every down back. That's what you used to hear. So the more stuff you can do, then the more opportunities you create. It's like, well, okay, he can he can run the ball, of course, but can we use him on third down? Can we create mismatches with him on the defensive side? You know, say coin, can we move him out? Uh, put him in a slot position. Can we move him at receiver? Um, and then when you're able to block, all right, we got a quarterback that we're playing all this money. We need somebody that can protect him. And if you don't know defenses, you can't recover. Just, yeah. You know, now the guys are starting to blitz you and they see that. And then if you can't protect, now there's more opportunity for this quarterback to get hurt, which at the end of the day, he is the franchise, if you're honest with <laughs> He's yourself. The guy. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, the more the team goes, the better he does, the more the team goes. So, you know, just creating value for yourself. Like I said, the more you can do, the more opportunity there is, and the more you can play. Um, you know, even for me, after I left Miami, you know, I did this thing in Philly, which was a learning experience because it was something different. I didn't fit in that offense, mm-hmm. you know, and what I thought I would be doing, I didn't do. So it created an opportunity for me to learn and make adjustments to the game. But finishing my career in San Diego, like, I mean, I was there. They had Ryan Matthews, who's the first round running right, back. Yeah. So that was the value that I added. I could play third down, you know, mm-hmm. Phil and I would have the blitz protection mm-hmm. meetings um, with the center, you know, and we talk about that. And, you know, it's like, okay, if I can protect this guy, I took pride in just making sure he never gets tackled by, at least by my guy that's blitzing and making sure I'm it sounds I know like they trying on. to move you to fullback at the end of your career. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it was cool. But it was, you know, and, and I didn't have to do much. Like, that was the easy part. Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't mind taking the A gap. <laughs> I ain't going to be responsible trying to somebody say, man, you need. 100 yards a game like, <laughs> just don't let this guy get hit right. I take that you know yeah, and it, sure. it just added uh, you know longevity to my career but you know I think now a lot of guys want to get the big money but it's like you need to be able to do all the other things and you know it adds value like you say Todd Gurley guys yeah. like that Saquon Barkley you look at um what's the guy um in, in Arizona you oh, know they're, 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 yeah they're like just... that's the stuff that gets you paid being honest like mm-hmm. I expect you to be a running back like mm-hmm. that's that's the easy part but right. you know being able to use be used in the different types of situations the pack track a little bit talk about your time in Philly um as the dream team the yeah. dream team I was about to say you yeah. was a part of that and because we, we had Jason Babbitt on We've had Todd, uh, Todd Harris. We've had Trey, Trey Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. So we've had Brian Westbrook. Yeah. We had. I mean, he. Well, Brian wasn't a part of the Dream Team. Um, you. So you're on this team. You guys brought into it. The world brought into this is a Dream Team. Man, we asked everyone because we we've had enough of you guys on guys, in particular the guys that were on the Dream Team. What the hell happened, man? To be honest, like, so for me, like, when I hit free agency, um, I'm looking, it's between Philly and Baltimore. Baltimore probably fit more my style, but... I was about to say, you've been just, cold as a Raven, because they yeah, downhill. And that's what, yeah, but in looking at it, saw the glitz and the glam of this team and the opportunity. I'd only been to the playoffs once. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that, you know, putting the team together and then talking, is like, hey, we got LaShawn McCoy. We need a short yardage goal line type of back. I'm like, you know, that's that's what I do. I think, yeah, I like to get down. Mm-hmm. I can't beat anybody to the number. I'm not trying to beat anybody to the number. So, you know, I bought into it. And then we're looking at it. Like, we got Michael Vick at quarterback. We got LaShawn at running back. We got Jeremy Macklin at receiver. We got Selick at tight end. We got uh, Deshaun Jackson at receiver. Like, oh, this is why you went to Philly. It's a madness. <laughs> so I'm like, how can you not make the sure. playoffs with this? But yeah. at the same time, you know, I tell a lot of people now, like, being done with my career, I'm like, 
you can't just as a coach accumulate talent and just assume that you're gonna it's win. Gonna work, you know, there's yeah. personality. There's a lot of different things that go into winning, and you know, can people be unselfish enough to be able to put the team first? And you know, it was a lot of talent. There was a lot of assumptions that we were gonna be really good, but. You know, when when you accumulate a lot of people, there's a lot of things that have to happen in order to have success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that team, while it was good on paper, we just didn't have that cohesiveness. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's what happens. It takes a while to get adjusted mm-hmm. to different things because you're not the only guy. So, you know, there's adjustment period. Even when you look at the Miami Heat that first year when they put their team together, yeah, like, everybody just assumed like, yeah. these are three great guys, four great guys that you're going to win, but it, it takes a while. And, you know, maybe had we kept the team together another year, I think there would have been a way to figure it out. But just having all those guys, yeah. there's an adjustment period that each person has to be willing to, to make. Saw that this season with the Cleveland Browns. Sure. Right. With, uh, you know, all the talent they brought in, you know, headlined by Odell Beckham and, you know, Kareem Hunt and, you know, things didn't ultimately work out, but maybe they will get another shot, obviously, under a different head coach. Right. The weather is getting colder. Winter is officially here, clearly, from the perfect game day outfit to the only sweatshirt you're going to wear this season. The Barstool Sports Store has your winter gear covered. Go to store.barstoolsports.com to shop now. And anybody that voted in the block of the year, go to this, the Stephen Che I Voted shirt <laughs> is available for sale. A hot item this season. But Settle only down. only get it if you voted. Honor system. If you did not vote, I'm not going to discourage you from ordering it. But don't <laughs> don't be a liar. Okay. Vote. Yeah. Voting is closed. But vote next year. <laughs> and now back to our interview with Ronnie Brown. So what I want to ask specifically about is Ricky Williams, right? Uh, you know, because you're very close with him. We've uh, we're on record as being a very uh, pro marijuana podcast as far as being able to cope with pain, just right. because. That is a better uh, alternative than, you know, the, uh, the pain pills yeah. and the opioids that, you know, uh, are readily available to NFL players. What was your stance on that during your career and now post-career? You know, I think to each his own. I mean, whatever, because there's a way to deal with everything, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. So, you know, at my time and during my career in Miami, like I see guys take Vicodin to get through practice for the week. So, you know, because it was just that physical and, you know, it was hard to get through the week. Then you beat your body up on the weekend and it's like, all right, how do I get myself back for this Wednesday practice and then just tear myself down for the rest of the week? So, you know, one, Ricky was probably one of the smartest guys that I've ever been around, really educated himself, um, you know, was a certified yoga instructor, um, really, yeah, really prepared, yeah, Yeah. really prepared his body, you know, and he wasn't into the medicine. He did all the holistic, you know, education stuff. So it was coming from a place of knowledge. Like he knew, you know, what What worked for him. So, you know, he'd go in, he'd do yoga, he'd do all these things to work on his body. And, you know, just a little inside scoop. I think that was the reason he stepped away from the game because, you know, you look at the history of his carries, like he led the league in carries for a couple years and he's saying his body was just beat up and he wasn't into, you know, taking medicine and Mm -hmm. medication, you know, even to the point of, you know, I want to overstep my boundaries, but, you know, I don't think he gets his kids vaccinated and all those type things. Like he's really just into the holistic thing. And, um, you know, just knowing who he was, that was just, you know, he's one of those people that if I feel a certain way, that's how I feel. And, you know, and I think just the evolution of looking from where it was then to now and everybody's like, okay, even with the CBA, it's like maybe we still should have started allowing these guys to use natural substances. Well, I've always said it, and I've said it a number of times on this podcast, for me, especially towards the back end of my career, I I started engaging in marijuana because I couldn't sleep. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned Baltimore. When I was in Pittsburgh, Baltimore-Pittsburgh rivalry was the best thing. Right. It was it was a bloodlust. So, 
the anxiety, the buildup, you got your shoulder, your knee, you got all this, you know, going into the game, your mind tends to run. And yeah. for me, I was always, you know, I was always like, you know, cranked up, I'm gonna kill, kill, kill. I needed something to get me down. And to, I didn't I didn't believe in painkillers. Right. I didn't believe in Amy because Amy, I would wake up all groggy. I tried it, didn't work for me. And I didn't believe in going to bed boozing because right. shit, you're gonna be hung over tonight. It just everything was bad. And I remember a buddy of mine who had played the game, he said, Listen, I know you ain't because I wasn't a weed head, right? Was right, like, and that's the assumption. That yeah, most he, people he think. Was like, if you smoke weed, you you, you addicted out there, to it. Addicted. Like, man. I was like, that wasn't it. So he he gave me something. He was like, man, smoke this. Tell me how you feel. And I had did it during a bye week, right? Because I didn't want to do it during a week. I was like, man, I was in my head. I'm like, man, if I get knocked for this, this is gonna be my ass. Right. I know better. On and on and on. So I did it during a bye week. And when I tell you, I woke up and I had the best sleep of my life. And then I was like, all right, let me do it again. I did it again. I slept really, really good. And I said, oh shit. And then I remember the back end of the season, we had Baltimore, and I couldn't sleep. I just right. couldn't. I couldn't. I, didn't, I don't know why I couldn't sleep, but I couldn't sleep, and I smoked. And I went, and I balled my ass off that week. Right. And you naturally, as ball players, if something works once, shit, we're going to go to it until yeah. it's working no more. And, but I realized what it was was it was allowing my brain to shut down. It was allowing me to fucking calm down. And it was also helping me not feel – like when I woke up, I didn't feel like I needed more of it to kind of balance out. I was right. over with it, and then I slept. And I remember talking to a doctor who – in the offseason, I had mentioned what I had did, and he was like, well, Willie, you know, it's still illegal. You got to be careful, da-da-da-da. I was like, but there's something to it, man. Right. All this all this stuff isn't working for me. This right here is helping. He goes, and then he started educating me about medicinal marijuana and all this stuff. So I hope the NFL um, understands that there's a whole realm and a whole other world that can really help these guys get through the season if properly, you know, maintenance and, 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 and focused on because – the opioids are killing dudes. Yeah. I mean, you talk yeah, about the tortoise, the tortoise the- tearing dudes up. So, I mean, I, I, at some point, when do we just give in? Because you can't be suspending guys every year for smoking weed, especially when you got guys who are telling you, like, listen, I need this because of X, Y, Z. I'm not right. doing this because right. I want to have a great weekend with my side chick. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I need this to get through the season. So, uh, hopefully, you get down the powers to be here paying attention to it. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I think that's the assumption. Like, everybody assumes that if you use you be it, coked out you're or something, addicted yeah. to it. It's like, right. you know. It's not for everybody. It's not going to work for everybody. Right. But if it does help you, then why not? Because for me, it, you know, I didn't feel so great. You know what I'm saying? It just mm-hmm. wasn't the right thing for me. But, sure. you know, I think there are guys that, I mean, obviously, you know, it brings up a different point. Like, guys deal with stuff outside of the game. You know, there's a pressure to perform. But then the stuff that guys grow up, they go through. And, yep. you know, even, like, people starting to see what you're doing on TV and then dealing with the outside pressure. There's just so much stuff to being a professional athlete that people don't understand in terms of, well, I see you on Sundays and you make a lot of money. Everything should be yeah, fine. Nothing's but wrong with you. Yeah. yeah, you know, the injuries, the mm. getting beat up, the shoulder stuff, not being able to sleep, the anxiety. Mm. You know, there are a lot of things that, you know, that guys deal with. Even with, you know, me talking to some of the younger guys, the pressure to even even get to this level to be able to to take care of their families, you know, and then it's like, well, okay, once you get here, mm-hmm. now I have to sustain this because, you know, I've acquired a lifestyle that I like, but, you know, how can I take care yep. of, you know, these people? Yep. So, you know, I, I think it just opens a conversation that needs to be had, you know, and the thing about it is you need to hear from people that have actually done it. You know, like I understand like there are doctors and people involved, but you need to also listen to the people that have gone through it, experienced it because they can give you a valuable insight to whereas these are some of the things we deal with mm-hmm. and this is how it is affecting me. And, you know, and I think hearing both sides of the story allows that conversation for growth. Mm-hmm. 
so something I want to ask you about, you finished your career in San Diego playing with Philip Rivers. He's had uh, a precipitous drop off as far as yeah. his, his play. Um, and, you know, there's reports that he's moved his family to Florida. Um, and, you know, the they've been lit. The, Tom Brady and the Chargers have been linked. Uh, so if the Chargers do move on from Phillip Rivers, how much do you think he has left to offer a team? I don't know, man. You know, I think that the thing with this league is, I mean, it's it's the ultimate team sport. So, you know, being a quarterback, being a running back, being a receiver, like it's really predicated on who else is around you, um, offensive line. And as you get older, your skills diminish. And I think that's the part about being a professional. Can you open up other things about your game? Can you work on the technique? Can you do the other things that kind of keep you the edge to keep you around longer and create that longevity? Um, so for me to speak on how long I think he has, I don't know. You know, I think it just putting him in a situation, you know, because we've seen guys, yeah. you know, on the practice squad, you're like, oh, this guy, this guy's all right. Like he mm-hmm. can, then he goes somewhere else and it blows up pro bowl. Like you like, right. he just needed the opportunity in this situation. So, you know, who knows? I mean, obviously that's the thing. Once you turn 30 in this league, everybody's like, all right, he can't play anymore. Yeah. But then you get a guy who defies it. And it's like, well, yeah, he's one out of the few. And then if something starts to go wrong, it's like, well, now that just adds to right. what we told you. It's solidified, you know, him just being older. So, you know, I think it's the parameters and the, the, the limitations that we put on people. It's like, it's not age based. It's just awfully, obviously skill. Like he's lost and the skills diminished as it does. For everybody, you get older long, at a high level right. for so long. I mean, it's just father time, right? Um, I want to ask this about you in particular. Um, you talk about Miami, you talk about Philly, obviously leaving to San Diego. When did you notice the turn in your game as far as like you know what? Because I, I know for me, I think I was with the Jets, man, and I, I think it was like my second year with the Jets, I was starting to feel a little washed because. I was I just couldn't move like my knees were just yeah. holding up like usually I could step on a dime and redirect. One time I just fell and there was nobody around me. Right, I, just, <laughs> I went to step and it was it was wild on film. I felt like a like an old dude, like an old man that fell out of chair. I went to run and I didn't go anywhere. I just hit, I hit the deck and I remember watching it on tape and I said, "Yeah, Willie, it looks like <laughs> let that dog, bring that dog into the house. It's yeah. time to sit him down." So when did you know? You know, I think the the, the, the cool part about it is because I think as athletes we know like when yeah. you're watching yourself on film and you're seeing it like man <laughs> I don't look like I used to so yeah. and you be honest with yourself but at the same time you start to try to figure out things try whether it's better. technique or related sure. like alright I need to be a little bit better at this because I done lost a step mm-hmm. you know and so for me after I left Philly you know it, it was tough because I was like alright I still, you were still feel pretty good yeah. yeah but it's just the limited opportunity so I'm not going to play like they got LaShawn who's obviously produced very much mm-hmm. so after I left Philly going to San Diego I'm like okay well I'm still in that situation so unfortunately I was in a situation to where I'm going to be in this role so one I'm like okay I accept the role but um I knew that I had lost a step in terms of, you know, what I was doing, but I felt like I could still do it, just not as often, you Mm -hmm. know. So I wasn't going to get 25 carries or whatever. But, you know, here and there I could still do it. And then, like I said earlier, like being able to block, take the A-gap away, block a guy off the edge, doing those things, catch the ball out of the backfield, you know, third and one. like Be resourceful. I I mean, be a guy they can use when they need you. The the, the intangibles can carry you a long way. Right. So that was it. But just in San Diego, as I started to get gear eight or so, 
I realized like, man, you know, I, I just don't have that burst. I don't have that mm-hmm. quick twitch like I used to. Um, so now I got to improvise and see, okay, well, I need to know a little bit better about the defense. So I started knowing a lot more about defensive sides, like seeing tendencies, Smart. the way yeah. the guys are lined up. All right, I know if this guy's inside technique, he's probably going to do this move. So my gap's probably going to be here. And then on the offensive side as a running back, I know where I want to go. You just don't know where I'm going as a defender. So I got to do a better job of setting right. blocks and doing things. So you start to learn a lot more about the game, which is, you know, a part of it. You got to be smart, too. Right. You got to yeah. educate yourself. You know, and that's why I tell you, I'm like, once you learn your craft, man, pick up on other stuff. Know what other guys beside mm-hmm. you doing, where they're going to be at, you know, other side of the ball, what they're going to be doing. And, you know, add a little value to yourself like that. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a countdown. Once you sign, it's a countdown, <laughs> you know, until it's over. And yeah. the, the question is, how long can I stay in it before yeah. it's over? So that's it. Yeah. Uh, I'll get at hearing this is that um, you have two touchdown passes in your career. We always love to ask guys who don't typically score touchdowns in a way that they would. Todd Harriman's was a great story. Was, you know, your former team, and it was two touchdown catches. Um, what do you like better, especially in that Patriots game? You know, you run over a safety at the goal line um, to get in for a score. And then that game, you also throw a touchdown pass. So as a running back, what is more satisfying, running a guy over to cross the goal line or throwing a touchdown pass? You know, I like throwing a touchdown, but for me, it's the feeling of, you know, being a bigger guy. I wasn't making a lot of guys miss. So <laughs> at the I'm goal line, like, them. yeah, if yeah. I could get through it, you know, and it. And it was a little sense of if I can break you for the fourth quarter, yeah. you know, and that's just how I felt. Like, if I could run over you and we... I mean, you're a big back, bro. I mean, right. you pound on a guy in the first quarter, he, he his arms get short in the fourth quarter. Right. You know, and you get past those big guys just, you know, in there and you get to some of those smaller guys, you know, you kind of see the attitude change a little bit towards the third and fourth <laughs> quarter. So it's like, yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, I hit you. And it's like, yeah, but do you want to do it for four quarters? Like, that's the question. So, you know, getting that feeling, like, I, I really enjoy that. Like, if I could run a guy over and, you know, just kind of see, like, look in his face and be like, all right, I, I see that you really don't want to do this for the rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, two questions, and you can answer them in any, in, in any order. One, who was somebody that you watched growing up that you want to emulate your game? Uh, kind of take from what, what you wanted to take from away from them, like as far as Emmett Smith or whatever. And on the flip side, what do you think people remember you most uh, for about your career? What do you think they take away the most from you know, I think number one is like the guy that I looked at. I mean, my I like the guy that I idolized growing up as a running back was Barry Sanders. Like really? you know, him cutting on a dime, him changing field. You know, and even though that wasn't my game, like I became one of the bigger guys. It was just you know watching him do it. It's like if I could just do a little bit of that, um, <laughs> it'd be good. And then Bo, everybody knew Bo Jackson. Like Auburn. is that why you went to Auburn? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even know he went to Auburn. That's the crazy part. I grew up a Georgia fan. Um, you know, I grew up in Georgia. Sure. You know, so I knew Herschel Walker, but, you know, uh, Garrison Hurst, that was my guy at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andre Hayes, they had all they had all those guys. But I was a Georgia fan. Um, but then, too, just kind of, you know, remembering, like, as a player, it was great. It's an experience, you know, and I met a lot of cool people, made a lot of, you know, great relationships. But, you know, I think most people remember probably for the Wildcat. Um, but, you know, when you see guys at the end of the day, we all did the same thing. So, I mean, it's nobody's different. So it's really the relationships. Mm-hmm. Like you see a guy that you haven't seen, you know, in years, you're like, man, what's up? And it seemed like you've seen him not too long ago. So yep. that's the part that's really fulfilling, knowing that, you know, you, you form those relationships. Awesome, man. Good. Yeah. Um, so former Pro Bowl running back Ronnie Brown, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate having you. Thanks for I making appreciate it work, y'all, man. man. I gotta say this, man. You've always been a class act. And I appreciate I, it. Most guys are assholes. You're not one of them. I appreciate it, man. It means a lot. That, <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Never burn a bridge. You may have to cross again, right? Miami Dolphin, Ronnie Brown. 
uh, the running back out of Auburn. What were your favorite parts of that interview? Uh, I, I think we, I think sometimes people just automatically assume that he had this, not that he had a bad career, but Ronnie kind of just faded away from us. You know, like the Wildcat really kind of took on his own entity and, and, and he it became a monster and he was kind of the forefront of it. Yeah. Um, and they, I thought it was interesting to ask him when I asked him, you know, do you think the Wildcat hurt you as a ball player? Because a lot of coaches really couldn't see him doing anything else other than the Wildcat, mm-hmm. and which was weird because he was really good running back. Yeah. Um, and he really had the makeup to be a uh, running back with a long career because he was big. I mean, he said he ran at 235, 240. Uh, but the Wildcat was so kind of off the cuff and new that he became the guy known for being successful with the Wildcat. And mm-hmm. um, I think part of him, and I don't know if it's true, it's just the feeling I got, part of me feels like I guess he wished he would have kind of not, it wouldn't have been so successful. You know what I mean? So people mm-hmm. would have just saw him as more of a complete back, right. not just a Wildcat running back, because he was able to throw the ball too. Yep, two and passing touchdowns. So it's... um and, and then I even forgot that he went to the Chargers, too. Well, yeah. That didn't even cross my head. He was at the Dolphin. I knew he was at the Eagles, um, part of that dream team, and he talked about that, too. And, you know, he had a – he, you know, it was interesting when he – when you put things – he put things in perspective. He said, I could have went to – I had a choice to go to the Ravens. Yep. Or uh, the Eagles. I went with the Eagles because why not? You know, he talks about – being with uh, Michael Vick and him and Deshaun uh, Jackson, Deshaun Katie Jackson, McCoy, just, yeah. yeah, it was just it was a list of guys who. And to be honest, if you would have told me signing, willing to sign up with a team like that, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna play with those guys. But his play style, what how he wanted his career to go, was fit to be a Raven. Right. So, um, I know he's probably you know he probably kicks himself, you know, like damn. I know if I was a ball, if I would have been a Raven, I could have been a part of those epic battles against the Steelers, and I could have right. been 2012 Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, I could have had a Super Bowl ring. So, and he would have been on a very, very good team, a very do- yeah. defense dominated team who believed in running the ball and controlling the clock. That's what he wanted to be a part of. Um, and so, did he make the wrong decisions? I don't think that. I don't think he. I don't think he made the wrong decision, but I think he felt like at the point he had a better chance of winning the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting just because, you know, that dream team, the 2011 uh, Philadelphia Eagles, was such a polarizing team, yep. just not only for the Vince Young statement, but just all the skill, position, talent that they acquired um, via free agency. Uh, and, you know, we saw, like we mentioned in the interview, we saw similar things with the Cleveland Browns this past mm-hmm. year, um, acquiring all this skill, position, talent, but, you know, you really need to be focused in the trenches, which they were strong there, too, in fairness, um, but just a lot of, like, personalities to kind of uh, mold in a locker room. You know, you have a lot of guys that are alphas, maybe don't want to put the team first when, you know, they want to get there. So an interesting uh, dynamic with Ronnie Brown. And uh, what's so interesting, too, is that, Derrick Henry now has kind of changed the game. Uh, you know, you, we have could do. Are we seeing a shift back to the bell cow back that can carry the ball? You know, thirty to forty times. Ronnie Brown w- was two hundred forty pounds. He ran a four four six forty. You know, he could catch the ball. Is he almost like the ultimate weapon in today's game? A guy that can you know absorb a lot of carries, protect the quarterback, catch the ball, um, be that workhorse back. It'll be interesting to see if the game goes back there. I don't necessarily think it will. Derrick Henry, Henry could be an anomaly when you guys when you got guys like it's Aaron only Jones, gonna, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I think Kamara. it's only going to go that way when you have other people looking like Derrick Henry. 
A lot of these backs. I'm are, saying like Ronnie Brown did. Like for, besides the he height. He did, but I'm saying in off summer reference, like what happens now, the reason why it kind of pulled away from what Derrick Henry is today and what Ronnie was, the fact that was we we people it became a pass friendly league. Mm-hmm. And he said that. He goes, yeah. you know, now you have to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game just to have just to keep up because it's such a fast pace. People want to see, you know, the rampant touchdowns instead of back when he was in his time. You know, people really thought about controlling the clock. Pretty much what Tennessee is, did this year of mm-hmm. uh, pounding the ball, be efficient, control the clock, play behind your defense. I think that's going to come back once we start seeing more bigger running backs get shots. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, you see it with, you know, Bo Scarborough yeah. um, getting a few carries this year. You know, can Derek Henry kind of be emulated? We shall see. But really fun interview with Ronnie Brown. We thank him for coming on. Uh, and, yeah, we're going to take a very interesting turn uh, with Surf and Turf Heaven, uh, kind of behind the scenes of the off season with the people that are making these decisions. We're going to give you kind of a 360 view. We had a really good interview with uh, even a player um, and just kind of asking him about the specific draft process in the Senior Bowl as far as interviews and, uh, you know, weigh-ins and things like that. Uh, it was a uh, Kentucky guard, uh, Logan Stenberg. Uh, really nice player. I saw he was having a nice game today uh, during the Senior Bowl. So, um We'll have uh, we'll, we're kind of going to reveal the plan slowly, but um, or roll out the interview slowly. But you know, it is we are definitely going to have you guys prepped and prepared <laughs> uh, for draft season.